0: Welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're so excited for you to listen along and hear this week's message. We pray it inspires and motivates and draws you closer to Jesus. Let's take a listen. And I want you just to repeat this after me. Father, I receive all that you have for me today. Say what you want to say. Do what you want to do. I am listening, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, open your Bibles with me to the last chapter of 1 John. We're going to tackle the fifth chapter today. I was telling everybody in the first service, you know, the first, I think this is like week nine-ish of us going through the gospel, or not the gospel, but 1 John, which has been a long time. In the first few services, we got through a handful of verses at a time, and then last week, we tackled a whole chapter, and today, we're going to tackle this whole last chapter together, and um, if you will look at this passage of Scripture as a whole, if you take a step back, and you don't look just verse by verse, but you take a step back and look at the entire book as a whole, you will see that there are... Uh, a couple of themes that keep coming up through this letter that John is trying to address. Uh, One of the big themes in it is the theme of love, how God is love, and how we are called to love our Christian brothers and sisters and to love those around us well. That keeps popping up in some way in every chapter. And you got to ask yourself... Why does John keep talking about something? And obviously he was talking about this because it was such an issue for those people then that he felt like, I need to keep addressing this so they're hearing what I'm saying. I mentioned this in the first service that uh, at this point, this was written around A.D. 90, and by this point, John is an older man, uh, older than any of us in the room, and He's probably towards the end of his life and he knows it. And so John is not mincing words and he's saying, I've got a short amount of time left and I want to make sure I say things that are important that I can still say when I've got the opportunity. You know what I'm talking about? Well, I've got, this, I've got this strength, I've got this clarity, and I want to say them, some things to you where I'm not mincing words and just trying to be nice and polite and be Canadian and hope you get what I'm saying, but I want to really just say things straight. Have you noticed how Canadians, we don't like to be blunt and to the point? We, we apologize a lot, and we like to hint around things and hope that you pick up what I'm really trying to say. But John's saying, I don't have time for that. I just want to get right to the point and tell you the things that I think that matter. And so he talks a lot about love and how important love is. And he He talks so much about it that you could say, man, this guy just talks about the same things over and over again, but he's talking about them because they're so crucial. The other thing he talks about almost in every chapter is refuting and stopping and closing your ears to false doctrine and theology. There were these teachers that kept creeping in trying to make a home in the church and they kept trying to bring all these lies into the church and so John keeps reminding them, hey, hang fast, hang tight to the truth that you heard at the beginning. The things that you heard at the beginning, hang on to those things. Don't accept false teaching, don't accept false doctrine, but hang on to the truth of the gospel. And so he keeps talking about these things because they're important to him. So in verse one of chapter five, we're gonna pick this up here and I'm gonna start in verse 20 of chapter four just because it's the same thought. If you remember, we've talked about this many times and maybe you've forgotten or maybe you don't even know this. It's the first time you've heard it, but the Bible wasn't written in chapter and verse. It wasn't, it wasn't like John Grisham sitting down writing a new book and saying, This is chapter one of my story, and I'm gonna tell a little part here, then I'm going to chapter two. That's not how John wrote his letters. That's not how any of the Bible was written. It was just written literally, character after character after character. And it wasn't until years later when scholars came in and began to break it down into chapters and verses and where they thought they thought thoughts started and where thoughts ended. So sometimes we gotta take a running leap at things. And so we're going to go back to verse 20 of chapter 4. They don't have it on the screen, I don't think, and that's why this is bonus content. If you bring your Bible to church or a Bible-y type device, then you get to read behind the scenes. So lucky you to have the bonus content. This is a special edition. Verse 20 says, if somebody says, I love God, but hates a Christian brother or sister, that person is a liar. See, he's not mincing words. He just tells it like it is. That person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God who we can't see? And he's given us this command that Those who love God must also love their Christian brothers and sisters. Now, everybody who believes that Jesus is the Christ, um, some translations say that Jesus is the Messiah. And that word Christ is the Greek word Christos, and it means anointed or anointing, right? So it's Jesus. Listen, maybe you've never heard this before. Maybe you don't even know this. But Christ was not Jesus' last name. We all know that. That Jesus wasn't, hi, I'm Jake McGrew, oh, I'm Jesus Christ, nice to meet you. Christ wasn't his last name. Uh, It means anointing or anointed one. And so it says here that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, has become a child of God. So if you believe that Jesus is who he said he is, if you believe Jesus is who God says he is, where he came from heaven, became a man, walked the earth, went to the cross, died, was risen again, then guess what? You are a child of God. And so John goes on with this thought. He says, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. So if you love the father, then you love his children as well. If, if I love God, then I love Ashley, not just because Ashley is my niece, but because she is my spiritual sister. She is my sibling in Christ. Stand up with me. I had everybody do this in the first service. Stand up with me. Yep. You're like, well, stand up. I don't understand. This is weird. Stand up. It's okay. Just be a second. You can stretch your legs. Now, I want you to do this. I want you just to turn around in a circle and look at everybody in the room with you. Just turn around in a circle and look at everybody. Yep. Make weird eye contact. Maybe you all shouldn't turn the same direction so you're not staring at the back of people's heads. Okay. Uh, Now, everybody you looked at, everybody you just stared at, is your spiritual sibling. They are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And John is saying, if God is your father, then all these people right here, right now, and the people that were in the first service, and in fact, anybody who calls God their father is your spiritual sibling. And you are called, he says, if you love him, then you will love them. Go ahead and sit down. Now listen, if you love him, he says, you will love them. And sometimes that's really hard to do. And sometimes it's not always easy. But he says, here's how you know, in verse number two, we know we love God's children. How? He says, I'll tell you how. If we love God and we obey his commandments. He says, if you love God and obey his commandments, God's commandments, that means then you will love his children. And you say, well, Jake, how is that? And I'll tell you how that is. Because if you love God, And you look at God and you talk to God and you think about God and you ask Him questions and you listen to His responses and you allow Him to work in your life, then you will begin to see people the way that He sees them. You will begin to see them through His eyes and through His heart, not just your own feelings and frustrations. You will begin to love your Christian siblings the same way that He loves them. And He says, and if you obey God's commandments, so if you love God and you obey, Obey his commandments then you will love his kids so he's saying if you don't love his kids then essentially you must not a either love God or B follow his commandments I was thinking about this during worship Uh, we were singing a song I remember what song it was and I was just thinking I, I instantly thought of the verse in Isaiah 59 verse 15 and it talks about how when the enemy rushes in like a flood Do you know this verse? I want to tell you, I think we are living in days and ages where the enemy is rushing into every arena and sphere of the world like a flood. The Bible goes on to say that when the enemy rushes in like a flood, that he, God, raises up a standard. So the standard is a flag or a marker where everybody knows where to rally about in the middle of a battlefield. That's what a standard is. It's talking about like the big pole they used to have when they, when, when a battle would go out and like they're all fighting against each other. This was way back when they didn't have like technology. They weren't like shooting guns or missiles or bombs and it was all like from a computer. This was when everybody actually went out with swords and knives and bows and arrows and got down and dirty and so what would happen was you couldn't always see where your team was at where your soldiers were at where you were supposed to be and so what was happening was on the battlefield there was somebody who would raise up a standard where you could say this is the rallying point this is where you should gather if you get lost or if you get you uh, uh, attacked and you need help come here to this standard and so it says when the enemy rushes in like a flood he raises up a standard and I'm telling you this because 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 I believe one of the standards that is being raised is the church needs to be the standard that is raised up when the enemy has rushed into society like a flood. And it needs to be coming from a place of love. The church, the body of Christ needs to be known for our love for each other and everybody around us. Jesus said they will know you're my disciples by your love. And so there is a whole lot happening in the world where the enemy is rushing in. And God is wanting to raise a standard to say, come, this is where you need to gather. This is where you need to join forces. And it's a standard that's raised up of love so you can come together and rally to fight and push back the forces of darkness. And so he talks so much about love because as we talked about last week, God is love. Can I just tell you this in all sincerity and just being brutally honest? We don't have the option as a child of God not to love. Somebody came and asked me this. And in fact, I've had probably somebody ask me this after every service when we talk about love. And I I wish I had thought about it beforehand. But they always come and ask me in some way about you said we have to love people But what about this person in my family that has done this to me? What am I supposed to do about that? And my response is always the same. We are always called to love people the way the Lord loves them. But that does not mean that you have to allow destructive people back into your life and to have access into the arena of your life. You are allowed having boundaries. Boundaries don't mean that uh, I don't like you and I'm gonna keep you out. Boundaries are there for protection and safety. And so what we are called to do is you as followers of Jesus If you want the Lord Jesus himself to forgive you of your sins, we know that we have to forgive other people. We are also called that we have to love people. We don't have the option to withhold our love from fellow followers of Jesus. You can't say, I love you, but I don't love you. You have to say, I love you, 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 I love you. You've got to love everybody. And sometimes it's harder to love some people than others. But you have to walk in love and allow God to work in you and through you so that you can love those people. There is no option to exclude love from your life. Yeah, that's fun, isn't it? That's exciting, isn't it? Let's just quit and go home now. (laughs) All right, so he says, You know, you love God's children. You know you love God's children if you love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. I love love that line. He says, and his commandments are not burdensome. I love that it just says loving God means keeping his commandments. There are people that are growing up in church that are just finding all kinds of ways to leave out commandments in the word of God. They're finding all kinds of ways to say, why? I'm going to believe this part. I'm going to follow this part, but I'm not going to follow this part. Listen, if you are a child of God, then you will obey his commandments. You will obey what you read in the word of God. You will line yourself up. to what you this is our standard this is what we align our life with and he says listen loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome I love that phrasing because uh it doesn't say that it's impossible it says that they're not burdensome so there will be times that you have to obey his commandments but they will be difficult they'll be hard not always easy but they're not burdensome. Burdensome means something that is hard to carry and hard to walk through, and you're not sure how you're gonna make it through that. He says, his commandments are not burdensome. And I think of the passage where Jesus was talking in Matthew 11, 28 to 30. He says, come to me. This is Jesus talking. He says, all you who are weary and you carry heavy burdens. He says, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light. Listen. If you walk through life trying to do things your own way, you are carrying your own burdens, your own weights. But when you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ and you begin to walk in love, he says, come to me and I will teach you and my burden is light. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. If your burden is heavy that you're carrying, can I just tell you this? You're carrying your own burden you say, I can't go on any longer, I can't take another step, it's too heavy, it's too hard, it's because it's your own burden that you're choosing to hang on to and not let go of. Jesus says, come, let's exchange burdens. He says, my burden, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So if you find yourself carrying something that you say, I can't do this anymore, it's something you're not supposed to be carrying. Are you hearing me? It's just getting into your heart. Verse 4 says, every child of God defeats this evil world. And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, somebody needs to highlight the first part of verse 4 and remind themselves of this all the time. Every child of God defeats this evil world. This is, listen, we are living in a world that has been turned over. And it, is, it, is, it, is, um, it goes on here later and says in verse 20, um, is it 20? 19, uh, that the world around us is under control of the evil one. So there are forces in this world that we are fighting against. But right here, as we live in this world that is under the control of evil, right here, John says, every child of God defeats this evil world. So listen, if you call Jesus your father, if you say, I am a child of God, there is good news for you today that maybe you forgot about. And that good news is that you have overcome the world because of Jesus Christ. Because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, you You have overcome the world. So the relational problems you have, the sickness you have, the emotional problems you have, the financial problems you have, anything that you find yourself facing that you're saying that's trying to drag me under and take me down, good news for you as a child of God and the work of Jesus on the cross, you have overcome the world. You should be a whole lot more excited about that than you're acting. You're like, yeah, I know that. I already, I already know that's This is basic 101 stuff. Listen, I want to read this verse to you in the New King James, verse 4 and 5. It says, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. So saying, saying, what's, what's the victory? He's like, I'm going to tell you what the victory is. He says, the victory that has overcome the world is our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes... That Jesus is the Son of God. So what causes you to overcome the world? Listen, this is 101. This is basic 101 stuff that maybe you need to hear today. Maybe you never quite heard this way and you need to hear this and listen to me. What causes you to overcome the world is your faith. But what is your faith in? Your faith is not your faith in your family is not going to be what helps you overcome the world. Your faith in your job is not going to be what helps you overcome the world. The faith in the government is not going to help you overcome the world. The, the victory that you have that is going to help you overcome the world is the faith in Jesus Christ about who he is and what he did on the cross that is what's going to help you overcome because when Jesus came and went to the cross and laid his life down he conquered death he conquered hell and he conquered the grave and when your faith is in him and what he did you will be an overcomer of this world amen Listen, I'm not making this stuff up. I didn't write this. This isn't something that I sat at home and wrote. It's like, you know, this is gonna be really exciting. I'm gonna tell people this stuff. This is what John wrote at the very beginning of the modern church. So he goes on in verse six and he says, and Jesus Christ was revealed as God's son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree, okay. So when you look at this, it could seem a little out of the blue. Like he was just talking about being part of the family of God. He was just talking about loving people. He was just talking about overcoming the world and, and we have faith in Jesus. And suddenly he's talking about Jesus being baptized and how we have the water and the blood and the spirit of God agreeing on one. You could say to yourself, if you don't take a step back, You could say, what does this verse, this portion of verse have to do with what he was just talking about? Well, what he was just talking about was we have victory in our faith in Jesus. And then he begins to address again these false teachers that are trying to creep into the church and bring false doctrine and false theology. I told you, if you were here last week, I think I talked a little bit about this last week. There was a man named Serenthus who had come into the church, and Serenthus was teaching a false doctrine and a false theology. He was a Gnostic, and if you remember me talking about what Gnostics were, Gnostics believed that the human body itself was evil, and it could never be pure. It could never be holy. And so since they believed that, this man named Serenthus was teaching that Jesus never actually came in bodily form. So, um, Rich, would you come up here? Do we have a Kleenex somewhere in this room? <clears throat> Could you just come up here on the stage? I want to show you something. I want to, I'm just, I want to try and illustrate what Serentis was teaching. So come stand right here so everybody can see you. So Serentis was teaching that there was two different aspects to Jesus. There was Jesus the man who was born uh, just a human man. And then there was Jesus the son of God. And so Serentius crept into the church and was trying to tell people that this body, as amazing as it is, was evil and filthy. And so because it was, the Son of God, God himself, would never come and live physically inside of a human body and so what Serenthus was teaching was when Jesus was baptized in the portion of scripture where it says in Mark chapter 1 verse 9 to 11 says Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and John baptized him in the Jordan River and as Jesus came up out of the water he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit this is the Holy Spirit (laughs) this came to me during worship Sometimes if you see me looking up out of the corner of my eyes, I'm thinking about church things. And it says, and the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And it rested upon him. Stay Holy Spirit. And it rested upon him. And then the Bible says, they heard a voice from heaven saying, you're my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. And what Serenthus was teaching people was that Jesus, the man, didn't become Jesus, the son of God, until he was water baptized from this portion of scripture. But then what he was teaching was when it was time for Jesus to go to the cross, because the cross was so painful and so dirty and so inhumane, that the Holy Spirit actually left Jesus. And it was just Jesus, the man, who went to the cross and endured the pain. And this is the teaching that's creeping in, not today, but was creeping into the church of the age. And so it was Jesus the man that went to the cross and endured the shame and was hurt and bruised and wounded and beaten. And the Holy Spirit, Serentis was teaching, was over here hiding in a cave talking to John and having their own conversation while Jesus the man was being crucified. And that's what his teaching was. And so John's saying, listen, even Serenthus basically agrees with the water baptism part. But G- John says, I want to tell you that it's not just the water baptism, that Jesus came and he stayed the entire time and he was the son of man, he was a son of God, and he went all the way to the cross and he paid the price that we could ever pay. And he endured the shame and he endured the pain and he rose again for you and me. You're great. I love you. Guys. I love you. <laughs> So that's, that's why he's saying this. It seems out of the blue. And that's why he's saying this. And he says, and so we have, uh, we have not just the water baptism, but he says, by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. Right? The blood that was shed on the cross. And he said, and the spirit who is truth confirms it with his testimony, referring to Mark chapter 1, where the spirit descended upon him and the the heavens opened up and the voice, God says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And I want to remind somebody here, right here, right now, that the Lord God in heaven said of his son that he was well pleased. This is my son and I'm well pleased in this before Jesus did anything else. Jesus is well pleased in you just for being part of his kingdom, for being part of his family. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work something up. He just loves you because he loves you and he's well pleased with you. Maybe you're not well pleased with yourself. Maybe you're ashamed of yourself. Maybe you don't like yourself, but I wanna tell you today that God loves you with all that he is and all that he has. And even if you never did anything amazing or profound for him, he still would have sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. So he says, verse seven, so we have these three witnesses, the spirit, the water, the blood, and they all agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the great testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his son. So he's talking about verse nine, real quick. He's referring to, he says, since we believe human testimony, he's referring to a law in Deuteronomy where the, where the children of Israel, they had to have three people agree on something before it could be true. So if there was a charge against somebody, if somebody had done something, stolen somebody, hurt something, done something wrong, there had to be three different witnesses that agreed to it being true. And John is saying here, so if, if we agree human testimony, if, if we have three people that agree on the same thing and we take it at faith, value then he's saying shouldn't we agree that when we hear the Spirit of God when we hear Jesus Christ and we hear the water and the blood and they're all testifying they're all saying the same thing shouldn't we take that and listen to it and receive it as truth the answer is obviously yes yes he says verse 10 all who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about His Son. Verse 11 says, and this is what God has testified. If you've ever wondered what God testified about his son, here it is right here. This is what God testifies. This is what God says about Jesus. He has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son, this is God's testimony about Jesus Christ. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have God's son does not have life. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus speaking, what does he say? He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Nobody, nobody, but nobody, but nobody gets to the Father, but through me. Listen, it doesn't matter how good of a life you live. It doesn't matter what amazing things you do. It doesn't matter what kind of philanthropic work you do. It doesn't matter what you do for society. It doesn't matter how you've helped your family. There is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. And God says here, here's my testimony about who Jesus is. My testimony is that if you have him, you have life. I don't know about you, but that's great news for me. Because that life is life abundant. It is Zoe life. It is the life where it's eternal life, but it was fullness and it's completeness of life. It's God meeting you in every area, bringing his redemptive power and restorative restorative work to you in your life, doing the work that he can only do. And that is amazing. That is powerful. and That's what we all need. And... That's what everybody that you surround yourself with or that surrounds you needs as well. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations. Verse 13 says, I've written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. A guy named Kenneth Woost in his Greek study of the New Testament words says that this word know is an absolute beyond a doubt kind of knowledge. It is, I know that I know that I know that I know. It is something that is written on the walls of my heart, that no matter what I face, that no matter what I deal with, that I know this is the truth. This is, the, this is what John was trying to describe to people. He said, I'm writing this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you know, because, because Serenthus has come, and he's trying to bring false teaching, and he's trying to bring lies, and you're like, what, why do you keep talking about this Serenthus guy? Okay, I'm talking about Serenthus, because in context, that's why John is writing this letter, but I'm sharing it with you, because in context, we live in a day and an age, where there are all kinds of lies, and false doctrines, and teachings, trying to creep their way into your life. And so there are things that you need to hang on to saying, I know that I know that I know that this is the truth. And if I know this is the truth, then I can say, this is truth and that's not truth. But if you don't know the truth, then everything's up in the air. Well, what could be truth? This could be truth. I don't know if this is right. I don't know if it's wrong. So let's just sit around and talk about it. If you know the truth, then you have a control set. You can say, well, this is the standard. Everything else is based off of this. That's why we keep talking about Serentis. You're like, I get it, man. Move on from Serentis. Let's talk about something else. He says that you may know you have eternal life. And we are confident. Suddenly he begins talking about prayer, which is a very interesting thought. So hang on a second. He says, we are confident that he hears us whenever we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears us uh, when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what he asks for. Now, the New Living, I love the New Living Translation, but sometimes it makes things sound a little like, this kind of sounds a little Aladdinish, Genie in the lamp, like rub the lamp. And if Because if, it, it says, if you ask for anything that pleases him, is, is the translation. And you could say to yourself, well, I know that God delights in the prosperity of his people. So it must please him. So Lord, please, Lord, I need a bajillion dollars to pay for my around-the-world cruise. I don't want to work anymore, and I just want to live on a boat, and I know that, that it pleases you, so I'm going to ask this. But actually, uh, in the New King James, it says it better. It says, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, everybody say according to his will. According to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. That phrase, according to his will, is a big, important piece. You need to make sure, listen. I told people this in the first service. I don't know the amount of prayers that I have heard people pray. Like, hey, let's get together. Let's pray. And they just begin to pray stuff. And it is not according to the will of God. It's not based on any scripture. It's just based off their emotions and their feelings. And you sit there listening, to people pray. And you're kind of like, what is this person saying? What are you praying for right now? You got to ask things of God in accordance with his will. Barclay says it this way. That essentially the ultimate test of any request to Jesus is can you say this? Give me this for your sake and in your name I ask it. So when you are praying, you're essentially saying, I'm asking for this for your sake. According to your will means for your sake that these are your desires, this is your heart, this is what you want to see happen, so I'm asking in your name, for your sake, to work in this area, I'm asking for healing, I'm asking for restoration, I'm not asking for, like, new hair, like, I don't have hair, like, yeah, I think you made me with hair, but can I have hair again, like, can we have hair 2.0 on my head, God, is that according to your will, no, asking for, you all need to lighten up, that was funny stuff, I just made fun (laughs) of my bald head, and you're all like, what's this guy talking about? You need to ask God for things according to His will. Does God care about me being bald? I don't know. Honestly, I don't really think so. I think He's like, "Yeah, man, your hair's done. It's gone. Move on." And I'm like, "Okay, fine." He's like, "Let's talk about people knowing me. Let's talk about people being saved." And so when we pray, we pray according to His will. Are you hearing this? All right. Well, finally, we're done. We're almost done. Now you feel like you're with me now. He says, so we ask these things in his name. I'm asking it for your sake in your name. That's the litmus test of your prayer. So I encourage you when you pray, before you begin to pray, before you jump into things, ask yourself, can I ask this for his sake in his name? And it might, you might find that it might stop you dead in your tracks before you say some of those words out of your mouth, which might not be a bad thing. Anyways. Verse 16, he begins talking about this. He says, if you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death. This is a very interesting passage of scripture. So hang on. Sinning in a way that does not lead to death. You. Everybody say you. Say you. You. should pray and God will give that person life. But there is a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. What? All wicked actions are sin." but not every sin leads to death. Isn't this an interesting passage of Scripture? Again, you've got to keep it in context about what's being talked about. So in context, what John has been talking about if you are a child of God, and if you know God, if you call on his name, then you have life. What kind of life do you have? We're talking about spiritual life. We're talking about eternal life. That's what John's talking about. So then he says, if you see a Christian brother or sister sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray. I want to remind you again. We talked about this last week, but you, yeah, you, each and every one of you, you have a spiritual obligation and responsibility to your Christian siblings to pray for them when you see them going astray when you see them falling into error, when you see them making mistakes, you have a responsibility. Yes, it's not very Canadian. It's very out of the norm for us, but you have a responsibility. When Mike sees somebody who's doing something that Mike says, man, that is not what the word of God says. He has a responsibility to pray that God will open that person's eyes and heart so they stop doing what they're doing so they can be restored back to right relationship with God. That's not just my job, guys. Here's why I'm saying that. Because the amount of people that send me stuff saying, can you pray for this? Can you pray for this? Can you pray for this? Yes, I can pray for it. But let me tell you, who else should be praying it? The person who sees it. The person who noticed it. The person who's living with them. You should be praying for it too. It's not just my job to pray for those things. I will pray for it, but let's all pray together. The power of agreement. So he says, there is a sin. That leads to death. What is this verse? This verse to me is so interesting. It says there's a sin that does lead to death and I'm, I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. And all wicked actions are sin but not every sin leads to death. What is he talking about? He's talking about this in context of the bigger story in this letter. What John is talking about Is these people who have crept into the church and who are actively finding other believers who are following Jesus who have received the truth and they are coming along to them and saying listen I know that you believe this but I want to tell you that actually Jesus never came in human form and Jesus never went to the cross and what they are doing is they are trying to sow division and they are trying to sow deception and draw people away from the truth that they know where they're saying I believe this and they're coming along saying actually you shouldn't believe this You should, those are lies. Jesus never came in human form. You should come over here and believe this new truth. And he says, those people, that sin, the sin of those people who is drawing others away from the truth of the gospel, the truth that says Jesus came down from heaven into human form and in his body took our sins and our sickness and he went to the cross and he paid the price for your freedom. He's saying, those people that are coming along saying that's not true, those people, that sin leads to death. And he's talking about spiritual death. Listen, if you go back for sake of time, we're not going to look at it. But in chapter two, verse nineteen and verse twenty-two, in chapter four, verse two and through two and three, he talks about these kind of people that were of the antichrist, where they denied that Jesus came in human form. In verse. 10 and 11 of 2 John, he says, those kind of people, don't even let them in your house. Don't even allow them into your house to teach. He says, keep them out. Why? Because they are sowing division. They are sowing deception. And he says, those people are are walking in a sin that leads to death. And he says, don't pray for those people. It reminds me of when Jesus cast out the spirit from the little boy, and the Pharisees showed up and said, yeah, of course he cast out evil spirits because he's from the devil himself. And so because he's from the devil, he can cast out the devils." And then Jesus says, basically, the people that won't be forgiven of sins are the ones that say that the works of God, he says blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, but he says the the ones that say the works of God are not of God, but they're of the world of the devil. He said those people will never be forgiven. This is what he's talking about people that are coming along and saying that Jesus was not the Christ, he was not the Messiah, he didn't come down in human form, he never went to the cross and didn't pay the price really for your sin. They're saying, those people, that is a sin that leads to death. Does that make sense? He says, all wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. Amplified says it really well. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin which does not involve death, that may be repented of, and forgiven. I love how the Amplified says that. Since we know that we're God's children, don't make a practice of sinning, for God holds them securely. Isn't that a beautiful phrase? God holds you securely. God holds you in the palm of His hand. There's one commentator that says, There's no comfort in the thought that we are in our own keeping. Our security is not in our grip on Christ but in his grip on us. He says, God's son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. What he's saying is, don't worry. Even though you are living in a day and an age where the world you live in is under the control of the evil one, He says, don't worry, because you who are a part of God's family, who call him your father, who have given your life to Jesus, God is holding you in his hand, keeping you secure, set apart, and safe. It goes on here, says this, last two verses, we know the Son of God has come, and he has given us understanding so that we can know the true God that you can know him that word know is the same know in verse 13 that absolute beyond a doubt knowledge that that intimate knowledge where you really know somebody and he says and now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. If you live in fellowship with one, you live in fellowship with the other. You cannot separate God the Father from Jesus the Son. If you're in fellowship with Jesus the Son, you're in fellowship with God the Father, okay? And he says, he is the only true God and he is eternal life. That word fellowship in Webster's 1828 is companionship, mutual association of persons on equal and friendly terms, familiar intercourse, partnership, joint interests, the state of being together, intimate familiarity, and communion. God's not just interested in common fellowship, in casual fellowship. God is interested in deep communion and relational fellowship where you live a life in him where you are real where you are raw listen there's something in the body of Christ where for some reason some way somehow we think we've got to be perfect and God doesn't really know what's happening inside of us but what God is really wanting is for you to come into fellowship with him and just being real about yourself being raw saying this is where I'm at this is what I'm walking through and he's like yeah obviously I know that But I'm glad to hear you say that because once you say that, we can begin to walk forward together. Because once you admit something, you can say, okay, great. Now that you see that, now that you've talked about it, I want to share you my thoughts on it. And I want to begin to walk forward from here with you bringing healing and wholeness into that area of your life. The last verse here is an absolute mic drop of a moment. It's the way John ends his letter, and it is like it is the, the oddest ending of a letter that I personally have ever seen. Um, I mean, I haven't seen, I guess, a lot of letters in my lifetime because letters are kind of on the way out. Now we have emails, but John ends this letter, his entire, his entire letter to this church, and he ends it by saying this, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. And that's it, he's done. That's his last thought to these people in this letter. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. Stand up with me. We live in a day and an age where there is so much competing for our hearts, for your hearts, for your affections, for your thought life, for your energy, for your resources. And John ends his letter saying, keep yourself away from these things that want to take the place of God in your heart. His final admonition, his final thought is, keep God the priority in your life, is what he's saying. Keep God number one. Dear friends, listen to me. We live in a day and an age where if I could say anything else to you, I would say the same thing that John just said. Wherever you find yourself, keep yourself away from things that want to take the place of God in your life and keep God right where he needs to be. The whole theme of this letter is look to him. Allow Him to work in your life. Love Him above everything else. And as you love Him, you will love those around you. And as you love those around you, and as you love Him, and as you follow the words that you find in this book, you will find God working both in you and through you. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful that when we open your word, that we can find truth. God, I ask by your Holy Spirit that the words that we looked at today, that the words that were spoken today, find a home in our hearts. That these words that we've been studying from John over these past weeks, Jesus, that we don't just leave today and we forget them, but they really are going deep inside of us, producing fruit that changes us forevermore, that causes us to be more like you, to look more like you. Father, I ask in the name of Jesus that you are showing us, that you are teaching us to love people well that we learn to love people the way that you love them, that we see people the way that you see them, not through our own hurts and our own wounds and our own pains, but Father, we see them the way that you do. We see the value in them. We see the potential in them. We see the growth in them. We see the goodness in them. We don't see the, the, the bad things that are so easy to see, but Father, we begin to see people the way that you do. Father, I thank you that you are working inside of us molding and shaping us to be more like you, to be more like your son. So as the enemy crashes in like a flood, that you are able to raise up your church as a standard, that we can withstand the forces of evil by your truth and by your light